I, I knew I needed something different because I only got nine feet and, and nine feet is more than some people get. Yep. Sometimes people stay the same or regress and they do the same thing for five years. And then let's say they throw 70, they throw between 71 and 68 for five straight years. I'm someone that I can't mentally fathom <laughs> doing that. Like if right. I, if I go out next year and I throw the same or worse, I'm going to need to take inventory of what I did and change it. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Scott Bukes. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the month that was. Uh, If you listen to the show regularly, obviously you know uh, I had to kind of batch produce a whole bunch of my little intros, kind of really cut to the chase. Uh, And so now I get to do this every week and kind of give you an update as to what's been going on. So, a lot has happened in the last month, 99% of it being good. Had our family vacation. We go up to Michigan every year, stayed in a little bit different city this time. We stayed in Saugatuck, which is about 20 minutes north of South Haven, where we've stayed the last couple years. But really enjoy that time up there. It's great to get away, kind of decompress, really unplug. I don't check my email for generally the first five days that I'm there. So it's nice to just be off the computer, mostly off the internet just enjoying that time with my family, doing stuff. I mean, we hit the beach a couple days. We toured a couple different cities, did a little bit of shopping. So just nice to get out and enjoy some time with them. So that's always a big highlight of the summer. Believe it or not, I actually had a birthday. Snuck in there at the end of July. So I continue to age gracefully, (laughs) at least in my own opinion. Uh, Doing my best to Try and stay in shape, keep up with these young people. They keep getting older and stronger and faster. So my only goal in life is to try and keep up with them physically and mentally for as long as I can. So that happened. Uh, Let's see. Coaching is going incredibly well. Still got some of my NBA and, and G League level guys in. In fact, a couple of them are actually playing in Summer League right now. So depending on when you get to listen to this, Tyrell Terry playing for the Mavs. Didn't get a summer league last year due to, you know, the timing of the draft, the start of the season. So excited for him to get a real summer league in under his belt. Had a great game yesterday at 22 points. Really impressed with his performance. Dakota Mathias is playing. So excited to watch those guys. You know, I still got Ed here. I've still got Keelan here. Just excited to see where all these guys land, see how they go this year. But I feel like physically they're doing a lot of great things to make sure that they are prepared for the season at hand. So coaching's going really well. A lot of my college kids are gone. That's kind of weird because, you know, you're used to having them around. And especially last year with the pandemic, I had some of them for six to eight months. So it's just, you're used to, Hey, at 10 AM Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I got kind of my college crew and they've been gone. So it's been weird not having them uh, around for the last week or so, but obviously wishing them luck with their respective soccer season, softball seasons, all the stuff that they have coming up. And, you know, I just thought of this, but my boy G, Jalen Robinson, won a major league rugby championship with the, I think it's the Los Angeles Guiltinis. I want to make sure I'm saying that right. I know the, the team name is the Guiltinis because they have a very distinct logo. And G was very gracious and brought me two hats because he knows I'm a big hat guy. So definitely appreciate him thinking of me and super excited for him, you know, for a guy that kind of bounced around a little bit, like really tried to crack into the NFL didn't quite get there. I feel like, man, he is living his best life and they love him in the rugby world and rightfully so because the guy's a freak of nature. 
And I'm really excited to see what he can do over the next three to five years as he kind of prepares more for the game. Obviously, there's a massive aerobic component to that. So as he starts to to get more developed aerobically, as he learns more about the game, he's only going to play faster. He's only going to get to higher and higher levels. So super excited for G. So that's kind of the coaching thing. School started, believe it or not. I mean, it's crazy. My kids went to school on August 4th. I remember being in elementary school and high school, and we didn't start till like August 25th or like the last week in August. I feel like every year it's a little bit earlier, but yeah, August 4th, kiddos went back to school. Kendall was now in fifth grade. Kate is in second. Very strange even thinking about that, let alone living that on a day-to-day basis. Kendall's at a new school, so she's excited. She's at the intermediate school, so she's got more freedom. Definitely loving that. Cade enjoys his teacher, so he's in a great place. Same week of school starting, soccer started. So a lot going on there because I'm Kendall's head coach and I'm Cade's assistant coach. So with Kendall, she goes Tuesday, Thursday at practice. Cade's Monday, Wednesday. So we've got like a soccer practice every night of the week, basically, except Friday. Games on Saturday. So that is definitely time consuming, but at the same time, very rewarding. I'm excited for both of them. Kate is showing more interest and a little bit more coachability, which I love and kind of expect from him. <laughs> you know, it's hard at seven sometimes for them to be coachable, but we talk about that a lot. Kendall has made some huge strides over the summer, not only playing some summer league action for herself, but she was in the gym with my girl Megs and got some one on one private sessions in with her. So her touch, her skill is really coming around. So I'm just excited for them in the soccer season that's coming up. And then last but not least, I don't think we put this on social. I don't think we put this anywhere. But as of August 8th, 2021, iFast has been around 13 years. So it is our 13-year anniversary. I don't know. Bill and I didn't even talk about it. It's one of those things where, you know, after 2020, just getting through that year, it's like, hey, we're in a pretty good place, but you know we need to put that out there because it has been an amazing ride. And I just think about all of the amazing people in the sense of the clients and athletes that have come to our gym, but perhaps even more importantly, like the coaches, the trainers, the interns that we've been lucky enough to work with over the years and to see what they've accomplished is truly rewarding. And you know we just lost a great intern in, in Grace and I just kind of told her, it's like, if you take a step back and you look at all of the amazing people that have come through iFast and where they're at now, it's truly amazing. And I would obviously forget a lot of them, but just thinking about like Nick Rosencutter, you know, successful gym in Wisconsin, Mike Koval, successful gym in Ann Arbor. You got, oh my gosh, Sean Griffin, successful gym, Chicago. You've got Ty Terrell, who's with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I mean, I'm sure I could go on and on. Lance was with Google. You know, I don't know where he is now. He just moved to Phoenix. Tony's with Google. Like all of the amazing coaches that we've had and to see what they've grown up to become is probably the most rewarding thing. And that's not taking anything away from the clients and athletes we work with. But to see the young coaches evolve, to see them grow and see them just turn into amazing coaches and business owners themselves is probably the most rewarding thing of all this. So. That is what's going on. That's like the last month, and I'm sorry if it was a little bit longer than usual, but a lot going on. Want to make sure I don't forget anything, but we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with Scott Fuchs. 
It seems like almost every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March 2021, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Scott Fuchs is a two-time All-American javelin thrower and qualifier for the 2020-2021 Olympic trials. He's also the creator of the Through the Point podcast, a show that is dedicated to highlighting the stories of fellow javelin throwers. In this show, I play the role of curious idiot to learn as much about javelin throwing as possible. We talk about the various body types you'll see and why most elite throwers have a blend between high force outputs and elasticity. We talk about KPIs for the javelin and why there's probably more to it than just building a bigger bench press or squat. And last but not least, we talk about some of the unique training methods that Scott has incorporated and why they might be improving his performance. Now, I realize many of you who listen probably aren't avid javelin throwers yourselves, but I think there's a ton of great thoughts and ideas in this episode, so I really hope you'll check it out. Now, enough for me. Let's do this. Scott, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So I'm going to give them a spark notes. I know this interview, we have probably not too limited of time to talk, but I don't <laughs> want to bore people. But I'm from Chicago area, suburbs of Chicago. I grew up there and I grew up, I did a lot of sports when I was younger until I was about 10. And then that's when travel baseball starts taking over kind of your your life. So yeah. I started gradually transitioning out of those things. I mean, I did some basketball in middle school, but by the time I was getting like 12, 13 years old, it was like baseball for sure. And I did that all throughout high school. I was a decent player. I knew that I could play at college at the college level. And I had, like I said, I'm from suburbs of Chicago, which is a pretty competitive area. I mean, I wasn't anything yeah. like division one talent, but I mean, there's, there's good baseball here and I, I had some decent success. So I was like, okay. And I had pretty good academics. So I wanted to focus on that as well. And I ended up just going to a division three school out of high school and my first year there. And this is kind of where the story starts is I, like I said, I wasn't amazing in high school, but I was 
had some decent stuff. I could throw like probably low to mid eighties and I wouldn't have great command, but it was never like that drastic of an issue. We'll say that. Right. But as I got to college, I basically lost command of everything and could not throw strikes anymore. I just like, I remember my first college practice, I was playing like catch with somebody and I just kept overthrowing them. And I was like, thought it was, Oh, I'm nervous. I want to just like impress the coaches, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it just like kind of snowballed from there. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I could play catch, but then just things gradually got worse. I would feel terrible. I would be, I mean, these are not like, I'm not throwing the ball like kind of in the dirt. It's like balls to the backstop (laughs) all the time. Like it's, it's bad. It's really bad. And, but I had talent and like, I'd say proportionally, I had more talent there than I did in high school where they maybe didn't have people with the physical capability that I had. Not that I was amazing, but it was like in high school, I was kind of like everybody, like I said, a more competitive area, but then I went to a lower competitive level of D3. Like not that a lot of D3 is great. This D3 is is not great. I'll say that. So it was like there, I was like a kind of a bigger fish in terms of like, I could throw kind of harder. I had good off speed, but I really struggled there. I ended up transferring to another D3 thinking that kind of I got hurt most of that year, so I didn't play very much. My first actual college outing, I didn't throw a single strike, and oh then they gosh. pulled me. Yeah, wow. so that was welcome to it. But then I ended up transferring to another school, thinking kind of like the scenery. Like that coach and I never really got along, but I thought maybe change of scenery would help me and get me there. And again, long story short, it didn't. So that that year, they ended up. I mean, I struggled a ton. They ended up still taking me on the Florida trip, which at that school, not everybody gets to go. And like, that's your spring break thing. That's your big deal is like the right. Florida trip. Like there's a roster and like, despite doing absolutely terrible, they still took me because <laughs> I they thought like, okay, this guy can be good if we can just like get him in some like JV games or something. I, I didn't play one varsity inning my sophomore year. And then I come back in the fall. I'd actually played well in, in the summer league. I mean, there were some bouts with it definitely for sure, but I, I do better come back in the fall. Things were exactly the same. And I remember I was, this is, I always tell this story in a funny way. I was like, I t- say I'm deadlifting. It doesn't really matter that I was deadlifting until you hear the end of the story. But I was like in the gym lifting and my, the coach texted me to come up to his office. And the long story short is I got cut. He was said, we can't, we don't have a spot for you anymore. Like we tried everything. We can't figure it out. And like you throw kind of hard and someone can get hurt. Like literally he said <laughs> someone could get hurt. Like, cause it was just so wild. It was that erratic. Right. And I say I was deadlifting because then I come downstairs. It's the only time in my life I did this. I just left all the weights on the bar and like went home to my room and cried. So whoever had to clean up those weights, uh, I feel bad about it. But I was uh, upset because it was just all all stuck on there. But yeah, I ended up going back and then I had probably three or four months off. And then I decided that I would give Javelin a try because I was still, I was, so I'm 20 years old at this point, junior in college and never done track and field once in my life, not middle school or anything, never run a single track event, never been to a meet. And I just said, I don't know. I guess I'll try it. And then now I'm here talking to you on the podcast, but that was 2018. So my javelin career is not that long, even though it's been very eventful, but I mean, that's kind of my backstory. And I ended up having a pretty successful career at that D3. And then I got a scholarship to go to Iowa state as a grad transfer. And I just finished up at Iowa state this year. So that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So what led you to the world of physical preparation? Was it just getting ready for baseball or what got you started on this side of it? Yeah, I would say in high school, it's funny, too, because I was probably I graduated. I'm not super tall, dude. I'm like 5'10". High school, I was probably about that height, maybe like an inch shorter. But I was like 130, 5'10", 130, 135. I was string beam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I did some training, but it wasn't really lifting. And it wasn't I did some exercise. It wasn't necessarily (laughs) training, but I 
I eventually my freshman year of college figured out or, or got in touch with like driveline baseball and tread athletics, which are two of the main like training and remote yep. training. It was really remote training was what got me in there. So I started working with tread and that was where I started understanding like what it takes to take the next step. And the part that's was tough is like in baseball, you're not necessarily rewarded in that. Like by the end of that year, I was a lot stronger. I was throwing harder. I was physically more capable, but that skill or, or whatever I was dealing with never improved. So right. I couldn't really display that new benefit that I got from training where Javelin, I've been able to do that, but I would say I've really started with tread. I worked with them for a bit and I was, I mean, it's, it's not cheap, but it was like, that was the first time I learned how to like invest in your career too. If you want to make a change, like invest in it. Like I said, I, I don't regret doing it at all because even though I don't train with them now, like the lessons I learned from it and what it helped me do at that point, and it really built like a great base that I could have success that I have now, but that was how I did it. But then obviously, I mean, I get cut from the team. I'm not going to pay them however much hundreds, hundreds a month, if I'm just going to be right. a normal dude now. So I was like, stop doing that. But then that's kind of how I eventually got in touch with Bill Miller, who was on your podcast before was I did that season. I kind of just wrote whatever lifts I want based on, or like did old tread stuff. But at the end of the season, I it was like, Oh, I actually kind of doing pretty good at this. Like I, I could take it more seriously than I was like that first year. I, I, I started in March of 2018 and like the season ended in May. So it was like, I didn't really have a lot of time to figure out like what serious training was. I mean, you're just looking stuff up at that point, but that's when I started getting connected with Bill. And I mean, that's, that's really the part that I'm, cause I'm still actively training as we talked about a little before we got on is like, that's my background in like physical preparation and training is that I'm doing it day in, day out. And like, yes. that's really what I'd say the biggest thing from tread was like, it was just six days a week, every week you take like a Sunday as a rest day. So I, I still follow that to a T like, I just, I don't know what that just feels good to me is that Sunday's the off day just cause right. like, when I first learned how to do training, I'm like, that's just how I do it. I do six days a week and Sunday's the day I take off. So like, I, I still follow that to this day, but that's really, really my background with it. I love it. Talk to me about kind of where you're at now. Like you said, you transitioned from baseball into javelin. Like, talk to me about just kind of where you're at, what your preparation looks like, your competitions over the last year, because you've been pretty darn successful. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. And that's another really interesting aspect was I, I'd be really, it'd be disrespectful of me to not mention Kevin Foster from Javelin Anatomy, which is maybe a page that you have not heard of, but he's yeah. very really popular in the baseball world, especially because he has some, and he has different ideas. And that's the thing that I want to like, if someone were to listen to this and talk about it, because I, and I love Kevin a lot of everything he's done has helped me a ton. Him, him and Bill have been not working together without really knowing it. I kind of like put the pieces together from those two, but I mean, he has some ideas that go very against the conventional concepts of like javelin training. So he kind of gets backlash from the javelin community uh, on certain ways or people are not, huge fans, maybe not of him as a human being, but like just what he puts out, they don't really like sometimes. Right. But for me, so this is, I end up going to Iowa state and, and I'll give a point of reference in meters If people, we can talk about the, the javelin specifics later, but like I graduated from Beloit college, which is where I was at. And I'd thrown 60, 41. So, which is like, maybe I could do feet. It's just under 200 feet, about 197 feet. And I, that's was good at the D three level. I was a D three all American. I got seventh, but then I knew at the division one level, I'm going to need to take a big step if I really want to be competitive again and do something like that. So I was training there. I did some stuff in the summer, kind of how I normally do it and followed some ideas. But then like I get to the, the fall and winter and I just like was better than I was, but I never really felt like I took the leap I needed to, to be at that. And there was just a point of frustration where I was like, I need some other 
idea. I, I just need some, some other perspective. And that's what I would recommend to anybody would be, I don't think Kevin's stuff is for everybody. And I think I would, I would tell that to his face that I don't think necessarily <laughs> it works, it works for everybody, but people spin their wheels way too often. And that's the thing we can get into training later too, is like, I just felt like if I keep doing the exact same thing or what's supposed to work and it's not working, then it's not what's right. And right. so I needed some other, other perspective. And he completely changed my ideas. And the season that I was supposed to have was going to be 2020 COVID cancels the season. And I was able to, I stayed home for a whole year. I was sent home March of 2020 and I only needed one semester to graduate. So they let me take the fall off. So I didn't return to Iowa state till February, 2021. Oh wow! So I had a year of training with Bill and Kevin exclusively of just doing what I wanted. And that just leveled me to something that I, I really never thought I could be, which I ended up this year, I got second in the Big 12, which it was the second best throw of the Big 12 season. Like out of the guy who won it through his best throw ever that day. Oh. And then I was second. But it was like my best throw is better than his second best throw on the season. Like he had a two meter PR to win it. But I mean, he's a good dude. Really, I'm good friends with him. But he threw like 240 feet and I threw like 237. And like I said, I was throwing wow. 197, 195. And that was I had one throw over 60 meters in 2019. And this year I had three throws over 70 meters. Every single throw I took was better than the throw best throw I took in 2019. And wow. that ended up, I was always big 12 silver medalist, I guess, all American. I made the final at the NCAA championship. I qualified for that. And I went to the Olympic trials and I was, so I was in Eugene for about a month. Like I was ended up being like, it was fun, but it was also a nightmare because we were just trapped in a hotel. But <laughs> I mean, that level that I got to was like, it was, I was better this year than I, dreamed of being like my goal was to throw 70 but the way i did it was like i threw 70 outside the trials was kind of a mess i mean you're beat up by that point in the season but i mean the other three meets it was conference the regional meet and the national championship i threw 70 in all of my postseason meets wow. and that was just like i mean it was just like i i had a sign in my room that said like throw 70 that i wrote in 20 2018 i wanted to throw 70 really bad and i actually did it this year and i, I it was just better than i could have imagined so i mean that's like why I feel like talking about this training is just like, I'm not a special dude. I'm really not like, I'm not gifted really in many ways, but like training has changed my life. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Okay. So let's start with a really general question because as I alluded to you before the show, I'm a total noob when it comes to javelin. <laughs> I probably watch it like most people, like every four years, right. When it's on in the Olympics or something, but could you just start by breaking down a javelin throw? Like what are the constituent parts of it? I'm glad because I, I have a, a javelin podcast and someone I interviewed before described it in probably the simplest way I could think of is it's the only track and field event that has a run, a jump and a throw all in one. So yeah. you have a running component where you're running. I mean, that part's simple, but the jump is not really a conventional, like a high jump or a long jump. I, I'd say maybe the long jump is a similar thing, most similar thing, but you're not going for max distance but you like or have an impulse is really what, what the term impulse or penultimate you kind of throw yourself into throw and then obviously the last component is the throwing part but it has all three aspects of track and field because that's really what it comes down to i mean obviously pole vault's a little bit different where there's something else but most events are either running throwing or jumping and this has all of those parts yeah no that's awesome okay so playing off that question if you had to take and create the ideal javelin thrower what physical traits would they have? It wouldn't be me. I'll, I'll say that. I would not, <laughs> okay. Not be, Why? Why? Yeah, I'll get to that point. Okay. But I'm, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I would say I'm not necessarily what people think of when they think of someone 
who's going to have success in the javelin. I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm very, very undersized, but I mean, I go to most of these meets, especially when you get, get to the point of elite athletics and you know that as well. I mean, these people are generally six foot plus at least maybe yeah. six, two, like I would say Johannes Vetter is the current world number one. And I would say he looks like he's built in a lab to throw the javelin. Yeah. I mean, that's like, he's probably six, two, six, three, two thirty-five. I mean, he's very muscular, but he also has incredible mobility. Like he's, he's more mobile than me and he has 50 pounds on me and four oh inches or if it's like, he's very, I mean, you can find his Instagram. I mean, he's got some, some shirtless pictures of him that it's like, that guy is, is something else. Like and he's what does got, he throw? Like what distance? Just for comparison's he, sake. The other day in the qualifying, he threw 85, which is not great for him. That's actually quite bad for him, but it was, there's an issues with the track going on right now that we don't need to get into. It's slippery, I guess, for the throwers. But I mean, he threw in 2020, he threw 97, 76, which is like 315 feet, 320 feet. Like the world record's 98, 48. So he's the only person that's ever outside the guy who has the world record, like approached it. And this year he threw in 96 as well. So he's wow. throwing over, over 300 feet. And it's really like, if you want to just answer the simple answer to this question is type in Johannes Vetter on Instagram and you'll get your, <laughs> your man. Like that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Okay. So what I want to dive into is like you alluded to, there's things that'll probably get you to a certain level when it comes to throwing. And then there are things that you have mentioned have taken you to the next level. And our, our, our mutual friend, Bill and I were talking before the show and he was just raving about some of the cool stuff that you're using in your training. So what I'd love to hear about are maybe some of the tools that got you to 197, right? Like, what did you do to get there? And then what got you that next, what is it, 40 feet? You know, yeah. what got you from 197 to 237? What did you change? How did your training evolve? That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, and, and the thing that got me to 197 was basically, I would say, hours, just simple hours. Like, it was like, you couldn't not gain that. Because I my first year in that, I said, I was... March to May, I threw 188 my first year. And then I had a whole year of training and only added nine feet. Yeah. So what got me to 197 was really just doing anything. Training. I mean, it was like yeah. general familiarity with the event. But so I, I, there's not really much to highlight there. I mean, I, I was training with Bill at that point as well a bit, but I was just, I was physically better, but it was really technical parts that limited me and maybe some, some mobility capacity. And that's kind of where Kevin comes in is he has a program called mobility ability. That's, I mean, it can really be for anybody, but it's obviously targeted javelin throwers and, and baseball players in general, but my ability to move and move and have strength through different ranges of motion is something that's helped me a ton. Like you said, Bill works a lot with overload eccentrics and he does a lot of force velocity profiling as well. So we're doing medicine ball throws. I would say is like, that's one of the only things that I'm physically elite at compared to, <laughs> especially compared to the people right. that we're at, like, and not, not, it's like interesting too, is how it's not like a medicine ball chest pass where I have a short range of motion, but when I can like take it over my head, bend back and throw it forward, like I, in general, am much better than the people that are in there. And it's so using that type of method and like, I would say the biggest thing that people need to just factor in is like, are you improving as, as I mean, as any athlete, but especially as a college athlete, and it's easy to tell that in track and field when I knew I needed something different because I only got nine feet and nine feet is more than some people get. Yep. Sometimes people stay the same or regress and they do the same thing for five years. And then let's say they throw 70, they throw between 71 and 68 for five straight years. I'm someone that I can't mentally fathom <laughs> doing that. Like right. if I, if I go out next year and I throw the same or worse, I'm going to need to 
take inventory of what I did and change it. I, granted, I don't right. think I'll do that because I, I think we're moving in the right direction. I, I don't know how much better I'll throw, but I believe I'll throw better. But it's that's just the biggest thing to me is like use things you can quantify and find things that are important and not just bench and squat. Those are good. Those things, I want them to go up. But like with medicine balls, when we would track the velocity of that, track the distance on those throws or track, just track anything where you can just see that, okay, this is a little bit more sports specific and it's getting better. How, and that's like kind of what I do with the mobility. Obviously mobility is a lot harder to quantify, but Kevin, as you take like every two weeks, I think two or four weeks, photos of the position, like you go through the program and then you take a photo of the position because there's like six main ones he wants you to focus on. Do you move better through that like front split or back bridge or things like that? Are you, do you have more range now than you did when you started? If not, let's change it. And then that's really like what the two of them like have differing ideas on some things, but the main thing that we've all understand and agree on is like, am I getting better or am I not? And if I'm not, how can we make it get better? Instead of just, this is what you're supposed to do. This is right. Do it until the cows come home. And then you graduate four years later and you're maybe marginally better than you were when I was able to go from being a solid D3 thrower to a very successful division one thrower in a short time. And something that I wasn't physically gifted that I'm not anything special. That's really what I tell a lot of people. I'm like, I'm more of what is possible and less of, wow, look at that guy. He, he did something that's impressive. Right. Okay. So one thing I'm interested in, and I don't know if you know this, but my business partner, Bill, through Javelin in college at Purdue. So I know, okay. I, I know just enough and I know what he's talked about. And one thing he talked about was just the beating that it puts on your shoulder, right? And just like these extreme ranges of motion. So one of the things that, that again, Bill and I talked about you, behind your back before we, we came on the show. <laughs> but you talked a lot, uh, about your use of in-range isometrics because like you alluded to, you need this range, but you also need to have stability and control in that range. So could you talk a little bit about that and maybe where you use those? 100%. And I think that's a, a great thing that maybe I didn't even think of when getting on the podcast is that's like Bill talks about this too. I think he even said it. I think it was on your podcast. You talked about it, but it was like when you add too much velocity too fast to a baseball pitcher, that's when you get put in a potentially dangerous situation. If someone yes. goes from 80 to 90 in six months, five months, that's a lot more stress. And if you gain that range of motion, but you don't have any strength in that position, then you might be doing the exact same thing in javelin, javelin world. But yeah, we would add those in, in different ways of like, he uses a lot of uh, the crane scale to like get a number in it. And like one position that you'll get in is like kind of your block or like with the position you throw out of. And normally your arm is, they talk about having a long pull, which is just a longer range of motion to apply force to the javelin instead of having yeah. your arm close to your head, like baseball, you have it further back. So we'll grab that and do like an eight second isometric from with max effort. And it gets you a number on there. And we see, okay, but okay, I don't know. I honestly don't know what my number is off the top. I'll just say 80 pounds just to make it easy. Sure. We'll just say it's 80 pounds. So we want that. That number is really important because that's going to be the position you're in where if we just measured bench press weight, you're not, you're never in that, but, bench press weight can definitely help that but you need to make sure you're you're quantifying in other ways as well so i would say that's like how we use it a lot of times it's quantifiable with a crane scale or, or a different and sometimes it's not i mean sometimes you'll just do isometrics either for long durations or max effort for for short time but a lot of times we're using a crane scale or finding a way to bill it just loves quantifying things like i said <laughs> yeah. so we're just finding ways to make sure that we're in certain positions like we'll do a pullover is a huge lift the javelin where you're 
like have the bar over your head or you're on a bench laying back and you like reach back and go it's like a lat exercise but he'll put attach it to the bottom of our squat rack and i'll pull on that and we'll see okay you're improving in those areas so it's really like are you strong in the areas that are used during the throw yeah. i mean it's simple and, and are you strong in that range that's the thing is like pullovers or bench like i said your chest is strong but like your chest and your shoulder and your elbow are all going to need to be moving fast in those and moving from deep ranges of motion, which you're not capturing that necessarily in a bench press. And like I said, I don't demonize any of these things because I use them all as well, but it's like, right. I mean, there's other ways to do it. And I would say quant the crane scale has really been a major thing for us and, and different ways to just like quantify isometrics in, which is something that probably isn't done normally too much. No, no. And like you alluded to, it's this idea of having KPIs that actually track back and impact your performance, right? Or having the right K KPIs because like you alluded to, when you're throwing 197, man, maybe your squat and your bench press are great KPIs. You drive those numbers up, you get a little bit more forceful, and you see your numbers go up. But then now you're at another level, and now you've got KPIs that better match your actual performance when it comes to throwing a javelin. And that's that's one thing, too, is I felt like I had, and I had a very good experience at Iowa State, so this is not to, to trash talk anything, but my coach was very was really big on squatting. And like I said, I'm like, five five ten one i was probably five ten one eighty at the time yeah and my squat was like 375 and like this is like a real full range squat i'm not like he, they were strict on that but he it was like felt like we were squatting too much to the point that if i wanted to throw 70 meters if i'm squatting two times plus my body weight and i'm 180 squatting almost 400 pounds 450 isn't going to make me throw 75 exactly there's other ways there's definitely other spots like that's not the missing link so that's like finding the things that indicate exactly like you said, like you when a KPI is like getting the right ones. Cause there's, there's indicators everywhere. You can <laughs> indicate things from plenty of different ways or, or indicate that, wow, my, all my guys got stronger this off season. But then when we go and measure, they go to meets and they measure the throw and they throw this marginally better, the same or worse then that's not necessarily the best KPI. But for me, we were using different things. Like when I didn't have a radar gun, it was med ball throws for distance or, I mean, obviously, we, we want these. It's not saying we don't want the lifts to go up, but we, that can't be the only thing you track because there's other ways to improve. Or there's sure. other ways to to track improvement and like do that more more effectively, I guess. Just no. to like that that yeah. makes perfect sense. So this actually leads really seamlessly into another question I had because you keep talking about your frame and then you talked about Jonas Vetter Vetter, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that sounds like a pretty jacked up guy, but what? what would you say the body shape is for the majority of these guys, right? Are they like the bigger, like stronger type guys? So I would describe them as either like more force dominant creatures or more elastic dominant creatures. And I would think it would be more on the elastic side just because you've got the run up, you've got the jump, you've got this long lever, I would assume through your shoulder. But what do you see? I would say it's probably you want to be in the middle of both because okay. it's going to take it's going to take both to throw far but i would say the build if you're just going to picture somebody would be what you would see in like an elite sprinter in general okay. yeah is someone that's like like where a distance runner is really kind of frail like an, yeah exactly <laughs> frail is a great way to put it frail i just lost I, all of my endurance athletes that listen to this show yeah. but that's all right and i lived with them so i, I can say it but um yeah they're definitely on that like a sprinter side where they've got the muscle, but it, there's so many elastic components that I think I know dudes that are way more jacked than me and I, I'm pretty good shape, but I mean, they're, they'll be bigger than me. Their lifts are bigger than me, but I have that elastic component. So you can't get too lost on either end where like a high jumper is so elastic 
but they're normally tall and skinny, they're probably not going to throw super far, even though they have the elastic component yeah. as good as anybody does. But then someone who's way on the force end too kind of misses out. So I'd say like the elite people are definitely going to have an elastic component that the lesser people do not have. Like an okay. average college thrower could probably be maybe in the same strength realm as some of them, not average college, thrower, a good college thrower or like someone who's on the stronger end of college throwers, I guess is a better way to put it can put up probably similar weights as maybe some of the elite people, but the elite people have an elastic component that they don't have. And I think that's the part that gets missed, especially in the United States where the U S is not historically good at javelin compared to some of these other countries. And I think that comes with the backgrounds of baseball and football, especially football, especially and and baseball really more of like yeah we have great throwing arms but most of the throwing is done from a stationary position if you're a pitcher i was a pitcher so there's a lot of parts with the run-up that i struggle with they're like delivering a throw while on the run yeah compared so like a lot of the u.s they'll run up stop and throw the, the crap out of it <laughs> where like you really like the best people are really it's a throw a run with a throw where you instead of a throw with the run where america yeah. just like thinks like oh yeah we just jog in a little bit and then rip it where they're like right. they, they kind of combine the two so I'd say that's really what it is. It's like you definitely need that elastic opponent to become come elite. Yeah. Now, it reminds me, uh, if you haven't listened to this podcast, check out Stephen Jones. I don't know. Oh, if yeah. You know he oh, is. it's all Stephen Jones. Yes, I love yeah. Stephen Jones. I love his stuff. And I just love because cricket bowling seems very similar, right? Where there's that big run up. It's almost like a, a big crow hop into that straight arm throw. So I love his stuff, man. He's very sharp. Oh, yeah, it's it's not the exact same action, but like what you need is very, very similar. Yeah. And I would say the only difference is you, in Javelin, you're going to need more strength than cricket. Because, I mean, grant, the implement is just heavier True. than the cricket ball. And yeah. also cricket bowlers are bowling many it's rows where we're, yes. yeah. So there's like a more, you need like an, a bit of an aerobic component that he talks about or like anaerobic where ours is like you throw and you probably sit for five to 10 minutes because everybody's going through sure. and it's max maximum of a six throws in a competition is the absolute max you could do. It's three or six. So gotcha. you don't really need, so that's where that strength part comes in where they kind of need a little bit different, but the general idea is exactly the same. Like we're using a lot of, I mean, we do a lot of stuff similar to what Stefan Jones does or like just learning from that. And like, he talks about the same thing too, just picking out KPIs that matter. Like what matters He's just like, I don't care what your bench is or your squad is. If you bowl, I don't even know the speeds like not yeah. a lot. Like you don't bowl fast. Like right. he doesn't care. Like what, what indicators tell me that you're going to bowl fast, not what indicators tell me that you're strong. Cause I know a lot of guys that are strong that can't throw for crap. And I know a lot of guys that are on the weaker end, but have a lot of good, good technique and good elastic capacity that they can throw far. So, yeah, no, I love it, man. Okay. So one other topic I do want to dive in on, we talked a little bit about strength development but I would imagine just with the sheer volume of throwing you do over the year, the very unique nature of throwing a javelin versus, say, throwing a baseball or something like that, what role do you feel like strength training should play, either with regards to performance and or injury prevention? That's a very interesting question because I think it also depends on the level you're at. Because gotcha. um, if you're at my level and you want to push the brink of being – like I was elite in the U.S., but there's still people a lot better than me. And there's people in the U S that are a lot better than me. So right. if I want to get to their level, maybe my game is a little bit, I don't want to say not risky for the sense of just being risky, but I'm pushing, want to push the envelope that maybe injury can can happen. Obviously, as you mentioned, the demand is very high, but if you're someone that's already one of the best in the world, I mean, if you maybe know you're not going to break the world record, 
there's like risks to changing a lot when you're throwing 85 meters because 85 meters is your payday. Like if you're throwing 85 meters consistently, like that's what uh, one of the Tom Puxis, one of the, he used to have the American record in the javelin and he coaches a ton of people. He coaches multiple of the people that are in the U S Olympics right now. And I worked with him a little bit. He was talking about how like it's risk when you're an elite thrower and you throw for your job, it's very risky to make a lot of technical and physical changes because those changes are, can be thousands of dollars. Not only are you throwing worse, but you're also potentially risking it. So at that point, you maybe want to focus more on maintaining. You want to improve, obviously, but like injury sure. prevention there. But if you're someone that's like me, I mean, if I've retired, then I'd be, be good with where I'm at. But it's like if I want to push it, maybe strength training is more of a performance thing. And not, we, we try and prevent injury as much as anybody does. So it's not sure. like I'm saying disregard injury, but you're <laughs> right. kind of like you're kind of thinking like I need to be push the limits of my body to see what I'm capable of where if you're someone that's already in that realm of, so I, I guess it's just a level a, a, like level or talent thing or what, where you're competing at. If you're someone that's going to make the Olympics, you're someone that's going to go to the diamond league and win win these meets, like you want to just make sure you're cons- able to compete as much as possible yes. and compete on a consistent basis where here for me, it's like, I want to see what I can do. So I'm not necessarily using it. I'm using it because it's going to will likely if you do it properly prevent injury, but it's also like, I just want to push the envelope, you know? Yeah. Well, it's the same way it is with, with really any high level athlete, right? If you've got a guy that's making consistent money in the NBA and they're established, like you're not trying to improve their performance. They've already got the athletic skills necessary to play there. It's keep them healthy. Right. Versus a guy that's like scrapping and clawing, trying to get into a summer league team or the G league, or maybe get a two way, like those guys, you know, you may have to push them a little bit more. And again, you're right. You're always thinking injury prevention, but you also know, like, I have to maybe push a little bit more than the guys that are already at that elite level. Right, exactly. Just the risk versus reward component, like, just what do you need out of it? And and where where do you need to get to? Like you said, I mean, you said it perfectly. I don't, I think that's exactly <laughs> kind of the situation I'm in is like, there's definitely people that are established as, and, and in the U.S., it's really not lucrative to be a javelin thrower, but this is, so this <laughs> right. is more of like a, uh, I guess for like people that are in Europe type thing. I mean, some, some U S people do okay, but it's really more about more to them that they're, they should try and focus on like using it as more injury prevention. Like you said, not risking what they have compared to right different scenario. Yeah, for sure. Okay. My guy, big question time. If you could alter the space time continuum and give young Scott Fuchs one piece of advice, what would it be? And you're young think, anyway, but so, so I'm keeping in mind here, this is a limited time, but. I would say like, because I was someone, I played only baseball from probably like 12 years old till I was 20. And I felt like I really put myself into that baseball life. And there was nothing outside of that yep. where I, but then I took the risk. Like I had no, we didn't even have a throwing coach at the school I was at when I taught, when I learned to, I taught myself to throw, like we didn't have someone wow. who coach throwing I, my my head coach gave me the opportunity and he would always joke and say like baseball players have egos like you're just an egotistical baseball player and stuff like that and, and like now that I'm outside one I do see what he means but um <laughs> like just take those chances and I think they can be for anything is like I just remember sitting there thinking like ah, I don't know if I want to do it and I just said like if I'm 45 years old I don't want to look back and think how did I like what would have happened if I threw the javelin so just like more of taking those chances and that could apply to anything in life. Obviously don't risk everything in a dumb way, but like, I don't, I don't have any regrets now because I took the chance and it 
truly changed my life. So I would say that's the biggest thing. And I ended up doing it, but that's like at that, that point in time, like my mom has been an amazing supporter, obviously, but she also, like, I told her I was going to throw a gel and she was just like, you're doing what? Like what? I don't even <laughs> really know what, I barely know what that is. Like, right. let alone like you're going to do it. So like, it's just, I just take those chances or like, don't, don't miss opportunities that you could potentially regret. So I think that is like the biggest thing that I've learned now from what I, or maybe what I didn't know then, or like was on the fence about then would be like, you have to do that. Obviously this scenario is just one thing of that, but there's plenty of other opportunities that come up in your life that I think if you want to try it, like don't live with the regret of not doing it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four to five fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as an athlete? That's tough because I think people would assume that it's the Olympic making it to the Olympic trials, but I was also the last person that got in. I was literally they take 24 people and I was like, like it was, if you see the list, it's like accepted. Mine was accepted. The guy right next to me was not accepted. So it's oh, like, wow. it was, I was the last spot in. So that was obviously really cool. But like, I, that was, like I said, that I was better this year than I thought I could be. So that was like icing on the cake, but I really was focused on NCAAs and making it to the like college national championship. That was like all I wanted since I started doing it. I was like, I really, really want to do this. And when I got there, then it was to make the final. And if I, I was like, if I didn't make the final, but I throw 70, like I'd be happy. But then my first throw, I threw over 70 and I was in seventh going into the final. They take top nine, make the final. So I, I end up, making the final and this part is the part that sucks but i get gradually bumped to the ninth spot and the podium is top eight mm. first team all-american is top eight and top eight get a trophy so i'm <laughs> the only per i'm the only person that made the final that does not oh, get a trophy no. but when i look back and like when I, I was so i was mad at that moment but then when i looked back like if you look at some of the people that i beat it's you would be stunned. Like if you would have told me at the beginning of this year that these are people that are going to on this day are going to lose to me. Like I would have just said you were lying because there was just guys that like German U23 national champion in 2018, which is the year I started throwing, he'd thrown 76 in 2018. And like, I beat him on that day. Wow. And like, and I don't mean to single him out if he ever listens to this yeah. podcast, because I don't, I don't know him at all. I literally don't know him at all, but I was like, but I mean, he's built like a linebacker. Like he went to Auburn. He's built like an Auburn linebacker, not like a thrower whatever. Yeah. But so it's, I mean, he's an amazing athlete. Like, and he's, I mean, he's, at this point in time, he's definitely better than me. I was better than him on that day, but it was like some of the people I beat. So I would say like making the final at NCAAs was the biggest accomplishment just because that was like what I was so focused on. That's why maybe the trials didn't go so well for me is I, I mean, I was just gassed and like, yeah. I just didn't have that feel that same value towards it was like, this is when the goal was so clear that this is like all you wanted to do. And then you make the final and then you beat these, then you look back and like the people you beat that were just have every right or every reason in the world to beat you and you can beat them on that day. Even if I don't get the trophy, like that experience was just, I mean, that's all I wanted. So I would say that's the highlight. That's awesome, man. I love it. Number two, what do you miss the most about playing baseball? If anything, if you're looking at my background, I have, a, and people can't see this, but I have a bunch of baseball things hanging up. So, I, but weirdly enough, I missed none of it. I literally missed none of it. I, I have no, <laughs> no desire to play any type of, men's league or anything ever again in my life just because i mean the end of baseball like i like i said i loved it i would turn i'd be someone that turned on the orioles reds no one cares about that game but i would turn it on and watch <laughs> it just in the summer and now i just like i mean i watch the cubs sometimes because i'm a cubs fan but other than that i mean i just don't miss baseball in a lot of ways because and i think it i don't want to like over exaggerate but i mean it's a little bit traumatic like by the end it was like i mean it was really really hard on me 
yeah. when I was was dealing with that. So I mean, I just think that's maybe part of the reason I don't have any real desire to do it. Like I think like hitting bag batting practice is fun sometimes, or like with when because Bill trains out of a baseball facility, so I'm around baseball all the time still. But like sometimes I'll hit like off a tee and we just like radar like exit velocity like a lot of people yeah. do and that's last i'll throw that in quick like when i was playing baseball i think the best i ever hit was like 90 off a tee and then i didn't swing for like two years and last summer i hit 102.3 without swinging wow. like so that's another like that's kind of a kpi in and of itself that's just raw rotational ability like i suck right. at hitting i'm not gonna if a pitcher's throwing me a good pitcher's pitching me i will not get a hit but like a ball that's sitting on the tee like i didn't even practice swinging and i was significantly better so that was another thing that told me like okay and it's not like if i don't get better at that that it's maybe i'm not getting better but it was like that point was like i've definitely reaped some gains of like just rotational capacity when i was able to yes. do that so i mean that part's fun sometimes but like in terms of actually missing it i really don't <laughs> yeah okay that's fair okay number three talk to me a little bit about your podcast yeah so i have a podcast called through the point which is like a javelin joke i guess i guess if your coworker knows knows about it he would know what throwing through the point is but that's just like proper application of force to the javelin is like the most basic coaching key was just like all right throw through the point so you throw it and it just goes straight but the podcast was actually my part of my master's degree for iowa state it was not like it's, it's now it's a passion project but that was like my thesis was doing this podcast and like interviewing people so i couldn't have gotten wow, a better that's cool yeah it was awesome so i was able to do that but i just i really kind of stay it's funny that we're on a training podcast but i do stay out of the training idea mostly because like i said javelin training is a bit contentious sometimes and i don't want to like be putting out things that i feel like i'm putting out what i think is right and what other people do is wrong so i really tell more of the background of throwers and like get their story and it's more of like a promotion of the sport mm, than it is cool. like a here's you should do x y and z if you want to throw further and, and if people want to add theirs in that's fine but i really kind of stay out of that realm when I'm doing it. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with it. I just wanted to be something, especially when it was a school project, I wanted it to be something that everybody could support and, and yes. could get behind. That's like, I don't, I've maybe had a few like critics, but most of the time it's critics to my face, at least who knows what people say behind my back. But <laughs> I mean, but like most of the, what I receive is very positive just from you're doing a lot for the sport. Thank you for like promoting the sport, posting videos, like learning more. Like I interviewed Johannes, um, yeah, we were talking about earlier, I was able to interview him, which was like a huge, huge get, obviously. I mean, he's number yeah. one thrower in the world right now. So, I mean, that part has been awesome. But it's really, yeah, podcast about Javelin, if anyone on here has any interest. But don't expect Javelin training for the most part. It's more <laughs> of like how this person got in, what are their career highlights, like what does it mean to them and stuff like that. That's very cool, man. All right, last but not least, number four, what's next for Scott Fuchs? That's a question I've been getting a lot, obviously, as I, <laughs> I leveled up to... A level like i said i didn't know was possible so you go to the olympic trials and everyone immediately goes so paris 2024 right like you're gonna like and and it's my answer is like yes but no because it's not not a no for sure yes but maybe i guess is a good way to put it is i want to now that i'm out of college i want to enjoy this off it's a very different environment and so far i've really enjoyed it but you don't have your meats spoon fed to you you don't have your equipment spoon fed to you, you don't have your training all these things it's like you have to make do like the other day and this is one thing that i've been working on a lot with kevin we've been doing a lot of like barefoot running mm. to work on like elasticity and doing just a bunch of stuff like that but i was doing my barefoot running at like a youth turf baseball field just i, I was driving by and i was like i'll just stop here and do it like right. that's something that you don't really get at the college level and i enjoyed it but it's also like i wanted to my basic idea is i want to enjoy the 2022 season and what it takes to get there 
before I decide, am I doing 2024? Because in the time from now till then was in 2018, I barely thrown the javelin or never thrown the javelin. So I'd not write like a lot can change in those three years. So that's kind of my right. thought process is like, let's make sure that this year is good and you enjoy it. And it just makes sense before you decide to commit immediately to the next three or four years, like exactly what you're going to do. And it's like, not that I'm not putting that best foot forward. And it's something that'd be amazing. Obviously watching the Olympics on TV might, makes you really want it even more and being at these higher level meets makes you want it. But it's like, let's just make sure that this year is fun. Like it needs to be yeah. fun the whole time. I, I don't want to do it and make it become a chore. Like, and it's not a chore right now for sure. And I'm definitely enjoying the training I'm doing, but I also just don't want it to get to that point. I love it. So just for reference, where are you at now? What's your best throw? 72-12. 72-12. And ballpark to qualify, where do you think you'd need to get to? So there's an, the qualification system is really weird. So okay. that's, I guess, the valuable thing. So automatic qualification mark is 85. If you can throw 85, you automatically qualify. Okay. But they they set that mark so about half the field can get it's generally they want like half the field to reach that so it's not everybody in the olympics has thrown 85 okay and that point it comes to world standing and it's like a world so each meet has like value to it there's like a grade and you get like you get more points for throwing well at the meets that matter more so my big 12 championship and the system is pretty harsh like big 12 championships and f it's worth nothing (laughs) that's right that's where i threw my best throw so it's like that means basically zero in their mind but then as you move up in like the meets, so it's like 80 meters at an A grade meet is probably worth more in the world standing than 81, but at an F. Okay. So it's like, if you're not going to throw 85 meters, you kind of, and there's two people from the U S and the Olympics. And one of them actually threw 85 after the mm. trials, but he was already qualified pre pre 85 because he had, they both thrown like in the low eighties at meets that mattered. So they get put them in the top 32 of the world standing. And that's really what it gets. So you're going to need to break 80 to make the Olympics for sure. Yeah. And it just depends on where you're doing it. So I would say like minimum, I would probably need to throw at 81. Yeah. That's at a minimum, but there's, I mean, you, the be- the further you throw, the better your chances get. So sure. I, I'm not going to say like, look, stop once I get 81. Cause that's definitely <laughs> like a fringe that's fringe for sure. But it just depends on the year and it depends on stuff. And it, what it really comes down to, if you watched the, not you, anybody watched the Olymp- or javelin in the Olympics the other day, what comes down to is who throws the best on those days. Yes. It's not like you might be can get in, but it's like what what you can do is amazing with just competing well on the day. And that's what I was happy about this year was like I was the only person that made the final at NCAAs that had not thrown over 75. But I was there and there were people that thrown 77, 76, 75 that didn't make it. But it was because I competed on that day where like you think these numbers you see all these people that here like that's this is the last thing I guess I don't want to talk too long. But the regional meet is the toughest meet of the year because they take top 48 from the west and east and obviously you're at your own regional and only 12 make it to ncaa's and there's no finals everybody gets three throws it's 48 people and only top 12 make it wow so but you look at the list and you're like wow this is crazy like there's 17 people that have thrown 70 how am i gonna like make it and then at the meet three people through 70 at the regional and like every year it's about the same mark that gets in it so i was processed it like instead of looking at who's here this year, I'm going to go historically, what does it take to be the 12th person and make it in? And generally it was 65 or 66 meters was what it took to make it. So I was like, okay, that's about what it takes. So I'm going to disregard all these other numbers and just look at what the last 10 years, what does it take take to make it? It was 65 to 67 every single year. And my first throw was was 70. There you go. And I was like, everybody starts shaking my hand and they're like, 
congrats, you made it. Like people knew that even though the competition was still going on because it's like, it was that far above what it normally takes. So I started like looking at things like, what do I need to do to get to this point compared to like, and, and that's really just, I don't even remember where I was going with it, but like the Olympics is just, what, what does it take for you that day where it's like all these guys have thrown very far and there's like 32 of them there and top 12 make the final and it took like 81 but all like i said 81 i'd be praying at 81 to make the olympics but then right. at the there there's 20 people that didn't throw that right so it's all that like it's all about competing that day it's just getting your foot in the door can you compete on the day of and i spoke with jeff gorski after the olympics who's like the grandfather of javelin in the u.s like he's just involved <laughs> with everybody and he was like really encouraging and he was, he was just giving me advice but he was just like one thing you have or seem to have is that you can compete when it matters and he was like so maybe you don't have a physical physical advantage the way some other people have where they naturally have these things and he's like you can train it or improve it which is really i guess like what i've done so far is i've just everything i have i've trained i'm not wasn't really given these things but right. he was just saying you maybe have a mental edge that some other people don't have so if you can that can take you very far if you can just keep improving your technique keep improving physically if you can compete on the day, that's really what it's it takes. Piece. Yeah, exactly. That's a huge piece, man. Well, Scott, it's been awesome to talk to you today. Love your story. Definitely going to be cheering for you going forward. Where can my listeners find out more about you, the podcast, everything you're doing right now? Sure. So I have three, three Instagrams, but I'll promote oh, wow. two of them. Okay. <laughs> I have, one of them is like a personal page. That's just like close, like family friends or friends like that. And then I have a javelin page. It's Scott pukes dot jav. That's mostly just jab javelin training obviously and throwing and stuff like that and then the, the podcast has its own page which is through the point underscore podcast and that's like a lot of javelin videos javelin memes a little bit and then that's <laughs> where i'm like promoting when i have new podcast episodes as well so that's if you're interested in the podcast and if you're interested in me as a thrower then scott Beek's jab would be the best way to find it i love it man well scott again thanks so much for your time buddy it was really great catching up with you today yeah i appreciate it i'm always glad to Glad to talk about training. Like I said, I don't do it that much. So like getting on here to do it and like have an environment where I feel feel good about doing it. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Scott. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, a little bit different avenue, different path. Many of you listening probably are not avid javelin throwers, maybe even avid javelin watchers. But I think anytime we dive into some of these different sports, we learn about the training process. Not only does it give us some perspective, but it also allows us, if we take a step back, to learn things and maybe think about things about our own training in a slightly different way. So really hope you enjoyed it. I loved having Scott on. And if you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy any episode of the Physical Prep Podcast, please do me a favor. Go on to your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you consume podcasts, and please hit that subscribe button. That way you'll know each and every week when a new episode drops. And look, the show's pretty darn good. I'd like to think every episode has something unique and something that you can take away and start applying to either your own training or your own coaching. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>